You're listening to the weekly teaching podcast of Willamette Christian Church in Westland, Oregon. We hope that what you hear today inspires you to laugh, question, think, and grow. If you'd like to connect with us even further, hit us up online at willamette.cc or shoot us a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode dealing with this reality, this unavoidable reality. Uh, It's unfortunate, but it's uh, unavoidable that we are all experiencing pressure in this world. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But I want to bring back something Jen mentioned uh, earlier, and that's our men's breakfast. Because this men's breakfast that is this coming Saturday, it's dealing with men under pressure. It's not just a breakfast, although we'll have pancakes and eggs and all the things. This is a great opportunity for you to come, for you to invite somebody to be in a a community of men that are for each other. We're going to have some fun together, but we're also going to lean in. We have Paul Elmore, who's our care pastor. Uh, It's going to be talking about some of these these realities of pressure that men face, and I think it's going to be super phenomenal. So I know, I know because I'm a Dude, I got my Saturday routine, and you guys, I am not normally available at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but I'm going to adjust, I'm going to make it work, and I would invite you to find a way just this one Saturday to go out of your routine to be here together as we kind of enter into this season together and really link arms and take some steps supporting each other because we know that men are definitely under pressure. All right, so uh, when it comes to under pressure, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, we're all in this world together, and there's two options. So if you're brand new today, let me catch you up to speed. There's kind of two options when it comes to pressure. We can either crack under pressure, not good, no bueno. I hope that is not you, but we all face it. But here's my prayer for you, is that we would be formed by pressure, that even though we can't avoid it, even though it's just going to happen in this world, rather than crack under pressure. God has a plan and a purpose for us. A God who loves us is a God who equips us in the midst of pressure to not crack, but to be formed by pressure. God has a plan and purpose for you. So we all have hope in the midst of this unavoidable reality. And today we're going to talk about a complex topic. Today we're going to be talking about anxiety. If you battle with anxiety, if you feel like there is plenty to be anxious about, you are not alone. In fact, in a a study released in 2019, it says this, in 2019, two out of three Americans said they were anxious or extremely anxious. Two out of three, okay? And, And that number is interesting, but the number that stands out to me is not two out of three. Do you know what number stands out to me? Yeah, pre-cray-cray, okay, two out of three people before 2020 ever hit, before the pandemic ever hit, two out of three, we went into the pandemic anxious in this, this extremely anxious, very anxious, two out of three. Now, post-pandemic or whatever we're in, the frequency and the intensity of dealing with anxiety is at all-time record levels, and like I said earlier, it's, 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 does uh, not dependent on your age or stage. In fact, young people are experiencing this at all-time record levels. Look at this. Uh, 91% of high school and college students report consistent and significant levels of anxiety. 91%. Social media has not helped the cause. 
with shaming and belittling and bullying and expectations and, and pressure from parents to perform. I mean, we're, we're in this world. Students are in this world. And this reality, I see stats like this, and I'm like, is this real? I mean, is it really this bad? Or like we just kind of, you know, just jumping on a bandwagon here. In fact, yesterday I was at Mary S. Young Park. My fifth grader's in a, uh, soccer, uh, on a soccer team, and we're there with all the parents. We got our lawn chairs, you know, our camping chairs sat down, and everyone's talking to each other, and, and everyone's having a good time. I mean, except the opposing team coach, like Will Farrell would say, he was an angry elf. Like that guy was having a rough day. <laughs> I didn't know you could get red carded at a fifth grade soccer game, but this guy needed it. You know, that rep, that 18 year old rep was like, bro, you got to like cut it out, man. But the rest of us are having a good time. He was anxious. The rest of us were having a good time and I'm looking around and people are smiling. They're catching up on life and everything's good. And, and I'm like, maybe this world isn't like, maybe we're actually fine. Maybe this is just kind of a little overemphasis. As I, as I looked at these families. And, and yeah, as I walked off the field, as I thought about like who these families were and the conversations that I had had earlier in the week were with families just like these families, except I had slowed down long enough to have conversations, meaningful and intentional conversations about how it was really going. What I, I know on the surface is it can seem well, but what I know as a pastor and what I know through just conversations, as do you, is that all is not well. That on the inside, things can be crumbling. Even when we see this on the outside, things are going well. And it's also not new. This is not just like post-pandemic issues. This is the broken world in which we live. And thousands of years ago, King David would write this about himself in Psalm 43, 5. He would say, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why the unease within me? And this is David. This is King David. This is rich David. This is a man after God's own heart David, David had it going on on the outside, but he was crumbling on the inside. Thousands of years ago, and it's no different today, we are chasing the American dream. People are pursuing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They're going after this, except while they're chasing the American dream, most of us, if we're honest, are also being chased by nightmares. We're being pursued by these anxious thoughts on the inside, the, the darkness, peace of life. Now, I wanna, as we get into this message, I want to make sure you know that I know that this is a very complex issue. In fact, I want to give you two different definitions. Here's definition number one of anxiety. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So it's, on one side, it's worry. We all deal with worry at some level, but, but the spectrum is large. It's complex. Here's definition number two. Is this a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior and or panic attacks? In other words, it is broad. Let's put both definitions on the, on the screen. So on one hand, on one side of the spectrum, it's, it's worry. Who doesn't worry, right? On the other side, there, there is this nervous disorder, a, a, a chemical imbalance that, that we need to understand. And so here's what I want to make sure that, that you hear from me today. 
Number one, this will shock no one, I am not an expert on this topic. <laughs> getting help is good. Getting help is important. I do not expect this message to deal with the broad spectrum of help that's needed. But we here at Willamette are for all the help that we can get regarding this important topic because this is a massive issue. Two out of three, 91%. We want to deal with this. Today, what I'm going to do, today I want to talk about it from a spiritual standpoint, from a, from a pastoral standpoint, okay? But hear me on this. We need to normalize and destigmatize mental health. Can I get an amen from somebody? We need to normalize this. This is normal. This is what people go through. Our, our world is broken, and it should not be taboo to talk about it or to say, I'm not okay. So here's a simple definition that will be for today for all of us, and that's this. Anxiety is when fear takes over your mind. Anxiety is when fear, not, not fear by itself. Fear can be good. Fear is like a warning sign that things are not okay. It's like a, a warning on a dashboard. Fear by itself is not bad. But when fear takes over your mind, when we are unable to stop thinking about these fearful thoughts, and usually these, these fearful thoughts end up with two types of questions. The first question is this, what if? What if? What if my kids can't make it? Well, what if I'm, I'm not cut out for this? Well, what if I, this all falls apart? What if? What if? What if? And usually these what ifs is a fear based on a real possibility that hasn't happened yet. Are you tracking with me? It's fear, but it hasn't even happened. It could happen, but it hasn't happened. And it is controlling. When fear takes over we begin to just be consumed with anxiety. What if the second question is this? What now? Sometimes it has happened. Sometimes you wake up and you have no idea how this is going to work out. What now? What do I do now? I wasn't expecting that. What do I do now? And you're filled with worry. I can remember one time, uh, uh, probably a decade ago now, I was running in northeast Portland. If you know the east Portland area of Glendevere, it's got a little trail around it. And I used to run around that trail. And so much was going on in our life. Physically, emotionally, marriage, church, family issues. And it was just, and I'm running and I'm thinking. Come on, how many of you know that sometimes running and thinking is the worst thing you can do, right? <laughs> you just got time to think. You're just like, ah, right? And I'm just running, and it's the first time ever in my life that I just had to stop and sit down on the curb. Not because I was exhausted from running, but because I was exhausted with anxiety. And I was asking both of those questions. What if and what now? It was like the double whammy. See, friends, the question is not if you have anxiety. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do when we experience anxiety? What does it mean to trust God in the midst of the worry that we face? If we can't avoid it, what does it mean for it to not take over 
our minds. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament and then an application in the New Testament. Kind of the story of, uh, of two different uh, options and then this application that the Apostle Paul gives us. And the story that we're going to look at is found from the, the Israelite people who were freed out of Egypt. Even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've heard of the, the let my people go and, and being uh, rescued out of the slavery of, of Egypt. And now they've gone out of Egypt. They've journeyed across the wilderness and it's time to possess this promised land that God has for them. God's like, my intention for you is not slavery. or my, my intention for you is freedom. The way God created us is to experience this freedom. And this is this picture of the freedom that God has for the people. And God's like, it's go time. This is it. It's time. Go get it. I'm for you. I've, I've freed you. I, I provided a way for you and I provided a place for you. I've done it. Go get it. And so here's what happens in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So he goes, here, here you go. Grab your leaders, send them out, and go spy out the land, right? So uh, Moses does this. He grabs all, all, the, all the leaders. And then in verse 17, this is what happens. It says, Moses gave the, the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. And over the next few verses, he gets into all these details. Go, go check out the trees. He literally says that. Go check out the trees and go, go check out the soil. I mean, Moses was very thorough. Like, take those soil samples. Get the pH levels on those bad boys. Let's see how good this is. Check out the towns. Check out everything. Bring back a report. So they go. But they're spies, right? These aren't like, hello, hello. This is enemy country. So they're spies. They're, they're busting out like James Bond or something. In fact, uh, as I was prepping this message, my uh, eighth grade daughter, Eliana, walked in the room. I go, hey, hey, El, uh, when you think of a spy, like the best spy ever, what comes to your mind? Is it like, James Bond, she goes, uh, I, I think of Johnny English. <laughs> I didn't even know who Johnny English was. I'm like, Mr. Bean? You think Mr. Bean is like the go-to spy? Come on, man. Like, I need to get you watching more spy movies than the Mr. Bean spy movies. And if you haven't watched it, we actually ended up watching it as a family. It's actually okay. But here's the deal. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking of these spies as Mr. Bean spies, except actually the more you look at this story, the more they're a little bit more like Mr. Bean than they are like James Bond because they are anything but stoic. Look what happens when they go out to the land. They spy it out and they come back in verse 27. It says this. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. It really is a promised land. God really did fulfill his promise. They're like, it, it, it is what God says it is. Unfortunately, their report didn't end there. Look at what happened in verse 28. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. They're like, no, no, it is good, but, 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 but these guys are bad to the bone. This is, this is powerful. It's fortified. There's giants there. And here's what's happening. The freak out is beginning. It's simmering. They have opened the door for something that hasn't happened yet to begin to control 
Never mind. What is, what is anxiety? When fear takes over your mind. And in verse 30, there's another guy that thought differently, but Caleb, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Caleb saw the same things, went to the same route, saw the same giants, the same fortified, the same everything, and he just saw things differently. He had a trust that God would do what he said he would do, but he was in the minority. He was in the vast minority. Look at what happens in verse 31. Next verse. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. They were huge, right? Then the whole community began weeping aloud. And they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. They are distraught. They are afraid. And grief has overcome them. That's very important for you to know. There is nothing wrong with grief. Grief is part of the emotions that God gave us. Some of the psalms are lament songs about about weeping. When you experience these tragedies in life, weeping and grieving before God is, is actually a very powerful thing. But these people are weeping and grieving over something that hasn't even happened yet. They are allowing fear to take over their minds. So, so it's not if, it's when. It's not if you will experience something like this, but when you do, and what do you do when you do? What, what is the response then uh, of, of trusting God in the midst of these worries that could very well be a possibility? Well, here's what you need to know. Our response matters to God because God knows what happens to us when we choose an alternative route. So God uh, hears this. Moses goes back to God's like, hey, the people aren't really down with this. Could we take the scenic route? Uh, could we do something else? And God's like, no, no, no. You don't understand how bad this is. And God puts it in really sobering picture, into sobering context. Look at what he says later on in verse 23. He goes back and says, anybody that thinks like this, no one who is, this is what he calls it, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see this promised land. So this worry, this lack of trust, this fear, choosing fear over God, he calls it contempt. No one who has treated me, when you don't trust God, you're treating God with contempt. If you look up the Hebrew word for this word contempt, it's basically like this. No one who despises me. Whoa. No, no, God, I don't despise you. I'm just freaking out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When you freak out, when you choose this, it's not that you won't worry. You will worry. You will freak out. But what do you do when you freak out? When you fall apart and you don't trust God, you don't go to God, you just take matters into your own hands. You look at your strength versus that strength. And when that strength's bigger than your strength, you just fall apart because you don't trust in God's strength. You are despising the very person and the strength and the ability and the provision of God. Another Hebrew word for this word contempt is blaspheme. 
We're blaspheming God when we don't trust God. Yeesh. Right? You're like, I'm not a blasphemer. I, I, I believe in God. So do demons. And God's like, you got to get the difference between belief, I believe God exists, and putting your hope in God. And God's like, if you put your hope in yourself, you will never experience, you can't experience what I have provided for you. The peace, the freedom, the promises of God. This promised land that God provided. He's not like, oh, forget those guys. He's saying it's impossible to experience the provision of God when you trust in yourself. It will never work out. You're blaspheming God. You're making yourself God. You're making yourself the most important person in the world. It's so hard to go God's way. But God shows us in this text his way. And he points back to Caleb. He says this, but Caleb... But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, very important, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit. He's like, Caleb has a different spirit. Now, friends, this is so important for us in everyday life. God says that Caleb has a different spirit. It does not say that Caleb had different circumstances. Come on, somebody. He had the exact same circumstances as everybody else, but he had a different spirit. Why does Caleb get in? Well, it's easy for Caleb. He, gets, he, he didn't have to go through what I went through. No, Caleb had to go through everything that was in front of everyone else. He just had a different spirit. He didn't have different circumstances. It also doesn't say, because my servant Caleb has a different strength. He was not impressed. Oh, look at Caleb. I mean, Caleb's going to take on those giants from Anak. I mean, Caleb's got it going on. You see those biceps? They're like Pastor Brian's times more. You know, like, like hey, like Caleb. I mean, Caleb's going in. Caleb's taking names. Caleb's dropping off, elbow off the top ropes. I mean, Caleb, look at Caleb. My guy Caleb, man. No, no, he doesn't say he has a different strength. He has the same strength. And so many of us say we don't have the strength. Uh, but, but Pastor Brown, I am depleted of my strength. He had the same circumstances as everybody else. He had the same, we could put in here, depleted strength as everybody else. But he had a different spirit. And this is the hope for me and for you. That even if your circumstances don't change, even if you feel exhausted with no strength, all of us are invited to have a different spirit. Amen, somebody. Every single one of us are invited by God in circumstances we can't avoid with strength that we don't have to have a different spirit. Anxiety will come. We will worry. But what, we, what will we do with the worry? We're invited to have a different spirit. That word spirit, when it says, a, my servant Caleb has a different spirit, spirit ruach, it's the breath of God. It's the breath of God breathing life into you that is not your own breath, that is not your own strength. It's not you looking at yourself in the mirror and doing the 1980 Saturday Night Live, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. It's not boosting yourself up to make it through another day. It's dependency 
of saying, God, I need you to breathe life into me and I'm going to trust that your grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to trust that there's a peace that passes understanding. I'm going I'm to trust that in my weakness, you are strong. And all of a sudden, Caleb sees the same giants, same fortified city, and is like, yeah, we can take these guys. Why? Because he was superhuman? No, because he was super dependent. And that is the invitation for you and for me. And so that's the, the, the story. This is the Old Testament story of, of two different options. Now we're going to look at, at the application in the New Testament. And I love that the scriptures are filled with relatable scenarios because the Apostle Paul is now talking to the church. He's talking to the New Testament church, kind of like talking to Willam. He's talking to the Corinthians, talking to the Philippians. These are just towns and people who go to church in those towns. And the Apostle Paul is not writing as some wise sage that's up on the mountaintop receiving a word from the Lord to go talk to the common people. No, no, no. Paul is my guy. He is in the trenches. Paul knows what it's like to be overwhelmed with stress. He was uh, shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was snake bit, literally like a snake bit him, which is the worst thing in the entire world, anxiety, right? Like it is, it is, Paul's gone through it and he knew what it was was like to be overwhelmed. In fact, look at what he says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Brian, I can't handle this. I, I'm not capable. Brian, I, I don't know what to do. Beyond our ability to endure, we can't in our own strength. He despaired of life itself. He's like, I don't know if this is, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work out. But this same guy who now has street cred for all of us, like, okay, what's this guy have to say? This guy who's gone through it experienced the God of peace in his life experienced the provision of God in his life. And sometimes the circumstances changed. Sometimes the circumstances didn't, but he endured through it all. And so he writes to this church in Philippi, to the Philippians. And when he's writing this letter, and this is so important, before you hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to the Philippians, you want to know where he's writing this letter from. Again, not a mountaintop experience. He's writing from a dungeon. He's writing imprisoned. So a guy who is now in a dungeon, separated from everybody that he knows, he is about to write some very interesting words to equip the church when they're also feeling overwhelmed and anxious. He responds to a church going through trouble. In Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read all of it, then we'll break it up a little bit. This is what he writes from the dungeon. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The Apostle Paul, who's in chains, who's experienced this overwhelming scenario, speaks to a church who is also going through it, and he equips them. Because a God who loves us will equip us. Some of you just need to hold on to that. A God who loves me will equip me. I'm going through it, but I'm going to be equipped for it. And apparently Paul, who, who's experienced it all, he, he says when anxiety attacks, he's saying you can attack back. When anxiety attacks the Israelite people about to go into the promised land, when anxiety attacks, you don't have to fall apart. You can attack back, but not attack with, with flesh and blood, not with, with human strength, that, that we attack back with a different equipping from the spirit of God. But he gives us some steps to take by a different spirit. So how do we fight? I'm going to give you four words that I want you to hold on to and I want you to hopefully memorize this so the next time you go into this anxious moment, you can say this. Worship, pray, thank, think. Worship, pray, thank, think. In fact, let's all say it together. Worship, pray, thank, think. Let's say it faster. Worship, pray, thank, think. Let's say it a little bit faster. Worship, pray, thank, think. What are we going to do? We're going to worship, pray, thank, think. Driving down the road, Overwhelming, you're running down the street before you sit on the curb. What are you going to do? We're going to worship, pray, thank, think. And this is kind of this order from this scripture that he gets us. He starts off with very, very odd advice for people who are anxious. He says this, rejoice. What? Right? Rejoice in the Lord when? Always? You mean when my kid graduates and I can't believe they graduate? I'm so happy. I'll rejoice then. Right now, my kid's doing nothing to bring about the cowbell and the confetti. I don't know about this word, which is why he goes, I will say it again. Rejoice. He's like, rejoice in the world always. No, I know. I know what you're going to think. I know what you're going to think. Now's not a good time. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, here's the deal. You need to know this. This is where churches get it wrong and pastors can be tone deaf. Rejoice does not mean cartwheels. Rejoice does not mean confetti cannons and cowbell. Rejoice literally means find joy in God. Find joy in God. I can't find joy. It's formidable. Uh, the, everything around me, I, I can't find it. There's no reason to go. Find joy in in God. Dig into the nature of who God is. Again, this is why in our devotional, in fact, we're, we're almost out of these, but we have a, a guide uh, for each of the weeks of this series, and you can pick this up on your way out. Under pressure, on day three, it's a reminder of who God is. We find joy in God. But sometimes, sometimes it is actual joy. That's why not all of our songs are lament. Some of our songs kind of for celebration because we need to remember that this is not our home, that this is not the end, that, that God has overcome, that Jesus said it is finished. And so we choose to celebrate even at times when, when, when the world circumstances would say, mm, I'm not sure you should be doing that right now. Lean in, 
Find it. Find joy in God. I say it again. Rejoice. What is this? This is a different spirit. Come on. Some of you are like, I can't, I can't. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is beyond you. In your strength, you cannot. This is a different spirit. The breath of God in you. I'm going to find joy in God. I'm going to worship God. Worship, pray, thank, think. We go to worship, then we go to pray. Go to worship, then we go to pray. He says this in verse 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God by prayer and petition. At first, I thought about not really bringing this up because when someone's anxious, and I, I hate the, the adage of like, well, you just need to pray more. Like, what? Well, if you just prayed more, if you had more faith, if you just believed, then you wouldn't be going through this. Friends, do not hear me when I say that. But when Paul says you need to, in every situation, pray with petition, by prayer and petition, I know I've said this to myself and I've been checked by the Holy Spirit, if you will, where people go, you need to pray more. I'm like, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. I pray. But you know what I've had to be honest with? Have I really? I mean, have I really gone to God in prayer? Or am I using worried thoughts as a synonym for prayer? There's a big difference. And so while I don't want to say, just pray more, I do want to encourage you to pray intentionally. Like intentionally. Like when you're anxious, when you're worrying, that you would worship, pray, thank, think that you would pray, that you would pray intentionally. Like literally get on your knees. Literally pray out loud. Pray intentionally. What do we do when anxiety comes over us? We don't fall apart. We receive a different spirit, the breath of God in us, and we pray. We bring our prayer and petitions. We say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. If the only prayer you pray is Jesus, I need you. And then just list out what you need. Petition. God invites your petitions. You are not bothering God by bringing your petitions. God, I don't want it to go this way. By bringing your prayers and petitions, praying matters. In fact, I've mentioned this before in another message, but uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf is a cognitive neuroscientist. She happens to also be a Christian. They have literally tracked this about intentional prayer. Look at what she says. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This is like science. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, it changes the chemistry of your brain. It reroutes the way you think. 12 minutes of intentional, daily focused prayer. And you're like, Brian, I have never prayed 12 minutes in my life. I don't know how to pray 12 minutes. Okay, don't let that keep you from praying intentionally. One minute. One minute. Jesus, I need you. List your petitions. Jesus, I'm bringing this before you. I'm not just dwelling on it on my own. Worship, pray, thank, think. Let's go to thank. Worship, pray, thank, think, right? Back to verse 6. Not just petitions, but he says this. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is what I love about this text because it's really given us instruction. Now, here's the thing. When you pray, even if it's just for one minute, intentionally, don't just pray, I need you, Jesus. Watch this. 
Pray, I need you, Jesus, and pray, thank you, Jesus. Are you tracking with me? I need you, Jesus, pray those prayers, and pray, thank you, Jesus. You balance petitions with thanksgiving. When you only do petitions, it can be genie in the bottle prayers. God, I need you to hook me up. (laughs) I need you to hook me up. I don't know how to do it. I'm tired. Hook me up, hook me up, hook me up. That's actually not bad. We can bring like our needs to God. But if we only do petition and not thanksgiving, we find an imbalance of how we see God. But when we thank God before the giants fall, before the walls fall down, when we thank God, we're thankful for who he is, not just what we hope he will do. And somebody needs to write this down. It is hard to be anxious and thankful at the same time. Come on, somebody. Why does Paul have us say this? It is so hard to be anxious and thankful at the same time. When you pray out those prayers of petitions, you're letting God have it. You're going to God first. That's so good. But to counterbalance that anxiety, we are thankful. When you are thankful for things, it is hard to be anxious for things. Worship, pray, Thank, think. Paul's in prison. We go to think. Then he says, hey, I'm not done yet. You know, he's like, okay. And the God of peace will be with you. And he's like, finally, brothers and sisters. In other words, don't miss this. Because what you think about matters. What, you, what you're running down the road and you're thinking about matters. Verse 8, here it is. This big, long list. Whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. Input. And some of us, we're not choosing our inputs well. We're, we're choosing the inputs. We're just driving down the road with, with just silence, letting the, our, our own mind just take over. When, when your mind, when fear takes over your mind, some of us, we're not doing any inputs. We're just listening to whatever music we want to or whatever uh, news radio. Uh, boy, you want to talk about inputs. Just come on. Everything in moderation, people. But like, you know, we're, we're, we're allowing these inputs and it's affecting our anxiety. It's affecting the way we see people. It's affecting the way we see our world. Change your inputs. Think about different things. Put on worship music. We have a Spotify playlist of our band with the music that they produced. Put on some Maverick City music. Pick something. Just ask me. I'm all about it. Like, just let this be an input. Listen to the right podcast rather than some murder in Ohio uh, podcast that you're like, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, and you're anxious. Like, how about something better, right? Again, I don't think it's wrong, but listen, listen, listen. When, when you are facing anxiety, change your inputs. Come on, some somebody. Come on. Well, I just really enjoy learning about. Great. Great. But turn off NPR every once in a while and put something in that is actually going to fuel your soul so you can receive the breath of God. Think about such things. Caleb thought differently. And in the midst of the challenges, he saw things differently and he walked into that promised land. Not because he was better or had it easier. Because he trusted. And what happens when we follow Caleb's example, when we follow the Apostle Paul, verse 9, says this, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This can't just be mere information. You have to put it into practice. You have to 
fight back when anxiety attacks. Not by being stronger and more positive, but by depending on God. And friends, as we wrap up, I want to invite the band to come up. Friends, come on. This is our church. This is our opportunity. In the midst of overwhelming scenarios and things that we cannot fix in ourselves, we need to be a church that chooses to fight back. Not anger, not protest, not falling apart, not raising our voice, but we are going to fight for each other. We're going to depend on God. We're going to be a church that goes, it's okay to not be okay, but we're going to go to God so that we don't stay that way. Well, we're going to be a people that, that rallies around those who are hurting. We're not I'm not going to make it taboo. We're going to be people who say, listen, this pressure of this world is unavoidable, but we have a God with a God of peace. He is the God of peace that will give us peace, not because our circumstances change, not because we're stronger than the other guy, but because we've decided to put it into practice. Say, God, I want to be somebody. So what are we going to do? Worship, pray, thank, think. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. In our weakness, you are strong. There is such an overwhelming expectation, God, for our lives to be in order for us to look well, to act well. The pressure to perform is heavy. But may this church be a church where it's okay to not be okay. Would your grace be sufficient? May we be a church that opens up and we become a church that is not plastic and untouchable. Not a church that is is just kind of going through the motions, but a church that truly loves one another, truly points one another to Jesus. God, we need your Holy Spirit, the breath of God in our lives. So like Caleb, we can believe that you are able and that you can be trusted. Help every person in this room with wherever they are. I ask this in Jesus' name.